Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and today we're going to be talking about our future impact in our culture around us and why young people leave the church and what we need to do as the people of God to step up, have a backbone, and take moral stands which exert biblical orthodoxy and give people the tools so that they can actually navigate our world well. Because people, they need eyes to see and ears to hear. But there are so many things being done in our world which teaches people to not have eyes to see and to not have ears to hear. So how we respond to the coronavirus, how we respond to governmental guidelines, how we act in all decisions that we make as the people of God, they have a very serious impact on who we are now, as well as who we will be down the road and what message we're sending to those who are coming up in age, who are stepping into life and figuring out who they are and adopting the belief system that they will espouse through most of their life. So thank you for joining me. We're going to be talking a lot about where we're at in this moment, because the truth is we are in a moment which reveals character. Hopefully, we will have some people in this moment whose character is built, but by and large, the moment we are in with the coronavirus shutdown in our world and everything going on with the virus, we are in a moment that reveals character much more than it does build it. And we are seeing it exposed how people really view the world. And this really brings us to a point where we as the church, we must understand who we are, especially if we want to be able to show people the alternative worldview, the truth of Christ Jesus. But... There's a problem, and that is that people do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. When you wonder about why we're so divided as a people, people always want to point it to, oh, that person did that, that person said this. But the truth is, is we've been sowing the seeds in our society for people to not have eyes to see and people not to have ears to hear for a long time. And you can find this, and I can give you a slew of examples. Whenever we as the church, we act like it doesn't matter that the same people who will tell us that abortion is healthcare are suddenly interested in life and now saving lives from a virus, when we act like it doesn't matter that the same voice that five seconds ago was telling you abortion is healthcare and during this second is content with thousands of children dying, being killed, being murdered, but they now tell you that this is death and you can't have that death. If you act like that doesn't matter, then you're teaching people not to have eyes to see and not to have ears to hear. When we as the church, we say China, it's a creative access country. But big socialist governments, they're not evil tyrannies that are demolishing people's lives. Whenever we make that stand, we are telling people not to have eyes to see, not to have ears to hear. Whenever we use the same language as the world, such as essential workers and non-essential workers, we're teaching people not to have eyes to see and not to have ears to hear. Because the truth is, if you're deemed non-essential, but you're sitting at home, you're getting suicidal, you're not being able to provide for your family, you're losing purpose and meaning in life, you know that you are essential. And the people of God, Jesus knows that all of those people are essential. Whenever we go along with these governmental languages, the pop culture languages, the spirit of the age, we are teaching people not to have eyes to see or ears to hear. When we pretend that there's no moral consequence for taking money from the government, that it's just them helping us out in this time, and we don't use our imagination, we're not the church that builds hospitals, but instead the ones that sit around and wait for the next news conference, we are telling people not to have eyes to see, don't have ears to hear. Whenever we say that you learn by hearing opposing views and then you decide, but you keep a morally neutral stance till you get there, you don't need to have a metric on the front end for good and evil, we are telling people, put on blinders, don't have eyes that see, and refuse to hear anything that doesn't confirm what you were already wanting. 
When we sit around and we want to talk about the evils of Western civilization and its individualism, but we don't want to talk about the tyrannical forces that mutilate children, that really imprison people in mass in our world, rather than pointing out the tyrannies, we just say, well, maybe we've been too privileged over here. And we use the exact same language as Hollywood. We are teaching people don't have eyes to see, don't have ears to hear. And this list, it goes on and on and on. Now, there's a clinical term for this, and that is cognitive dissonance. But, as I have said for a long time now, and I have some self-awareness, we don't need mere clinical terms. They tend to be too sanitized because everything is a spiritual matter. This is a spiritual affair that people do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's a problem with our young people. It's one of the reasons why we see so many young people they leave the church, especially after they come into young adulthood, they start to have some freedom and they walk away. Well, they haven't been have had eyes to see and ears to hear, and the world did not supply um or the world supplied that for them when the church would not. When the church didn't want to be serious, the world, the sin nature, it came in with a serious answer for all those confusing questions that young people have. So today's message is going to be quite serious, and we're going to address how we can reach the next, gener next generation and how we can find our backbone as the people of God. I'm not here just to sit around and tear everyone down and be a deconstructionist or anything like that, but I want to point out that we have to have a backbone. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. Those who were with me last week, I was outside and I had these little cards. Um, I wasn't able really to show them because I was too far away from the camera. I apologize for that. Um, today, now I'm in the studio. I wanted to be outside, but I'm in the studio today, which will actually come out great because I've got some clips I want to share with you, though hopefully YouTube won't pull me down or Facebook because of the clips. They'll be short, but... Today, we're going to be having a serious conversation, so please bear with me. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. You have eyes, but do not see. You have ears, but do not hear. Simple verse, and it's a theme found all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, this idea of people needing eyes to see and ears to hear, but a lot of times they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. They're blind, even though they have physical sight, and some people... Like the blind man, don't have physical sight until they are healed by Jesus, but nonetheless, they can see. Today, I want us to talk about how important it is for us to realize that many in our world, and even some within the church, they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. And that explains why a lot of people who may have been even raised in the church, but it explains why a lot of people aren't living the biblical worldview out like they should. It, it's because they don't have eyes to see. It's why there's a lot of confusion in our culture. It's why we're so divided as a people. Um, all the things that we tend to want to point the blame at as far as things in the here and now the, are the consequences of not having eyes to see and ears to hear. They're not really the things that started sowing those seeds. But the truth is, is that for basically my entire generation, we have grown up while people are planting seeds which keep you from having eyes to see and ears to hear. And how we respond to the coronavirus is very important for this conversation. So we're going to be weaving a lot of things together. And I hope that everyone can leave this conversation feeling invigorated, knowing that we need to take a biblical stand. We need to start saying no to obvious evils in our society. And I'm not here to tear people down, but to lift us all up because we are all capable of being the men and women of God that God wants us to be when we allow the Holy Spirit to work into our lives. We're not sanctified by our own words or our wisdom, and our government and the experts in our world, they're not sanctified just because they're in a position of power and can give a guideline. People are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. They're sanctified by God, not by our own power. And God has made it available where all of us can receive this gift. So last Friday, we talked a little bit about 
Bob Ross and Fred Rogers. And those were both men who planted seeds in the psyche of our culture that helped give people eyes to see and ears to hear. They were willing to do difficult things. They pulled people up to excellence. Again, Bob Ross, he didn't tape a banana to the wall and say, that's art. Fred Rogers didn't come along and say, oh, you're a child. It's going to be one. It's going to be wonderful. Instead of sitting in here with the adults, why don't we take you over here where we're going to watch Veggie Tales and do something? No, they went to serious, deep places that had high bars of excellence. They achieved those bars and they took all of us there because they were men of God and they wanted to do things from a biblical worldview. We need to be planting those seeds and we need to step up to the plate and have a sword in one hand and a mason's trial in the other because God wants us to be building his kingdom. A lot of people look at our world right now and they say, oh, well, after 9-11, there was this huge interest in the church. People were coming to the church in droves. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case right now. Um, I hope that it is, and depending on how the church responds in this, we, we have the ability to set that trajectory. But it's not a given. And there are a lot of things that are really different with how we responded to 9-11 and how we have responded now. After 9-11, we were very interested in calling evil out for being evil. But now we live in a day and age where we pretend like tyranny is not really tyranny if it was done with good intentions. Like you can't do evil with good intentions. Um, something like the Soviet Union, which come along saying, well, there's inequality between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, the working class and the ruling class. We're going to equalize that. That can't be evil. It's kind of how we pretend now. When the truth of it is, is the Soviets, with good intentions, killed so many of their own people that our count is off in the tens of millions. And you can't just excuse it because it had good intentions. Tyranny cannot be excused. You have to be wise and prudent have to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. But we live in an era where we don't want to do that. We want to use the politically correct language because what harm could it possibly have, right? I mean, it's not supposed to be offensive. You can't offend someone by being not offensive. Isn't that in the definition? Well, the truth is, yeah, actually, you can do a lot of damage by being allegedly unoffensive, and you can allow evil to fester. Jesus said a lot of things that were pretty offensive to people. In fact, they put him on a cross and killed him. Um, they didn't ask him to say, why don't you come to, to you know Rome? We've got these nice amphitheaters. We think you'd be the next celebrity to really take us through where we're at. That's not at all what happened. Jesus had a lot of things that rubbed people raw, and he did it on purpose because he wanted them to be freed and liberated from the things which brought chaos into their lives and perpetuated chaos in the world. After 9-11, there was interest in calling evil out for being evil, but now we want to excuse it. We want to accept this premise of governmental language of what is essential and what is not. We want to use the politically correct language and even calling it like COVID-19 and not acknowledging where it comes from, which again, is not a, again, if you're an adult, you say that, well, that's not a smear on the Chinese people. It's a reminder that the Chinese people live under tyranny. Um, all of this stuff, whenever we want to take the sanitized route, we're not actually taking the sanitized route. We're taking the route which buys us an immediate pleasure and an immediate, you know, relief from pushback, but it costs us a lot in the future. You know, we're writing checks that the future is not really going to be able to pay very well. We live in an era where we say things like, you know, no culture is better than any other culture. I mean, like that's basically what the missions stuff that I was taught when I was a young man um, really was built on. And of course, there's some fallacies built into that. We we confuse the fact that we were citizens of the kingdom of God with the fact that other things actually do curse people. You're not hating on people if people are unfortunately born in a circumstantially tyrannical place that has no judgment over people as individuals. I mean, if we actually believe the kingdom of God is meant to bring transformation in our world, then you're going to have to admit that some places are much worse than others. That doesn't have any moral judgment on the people that are in circumstance. We have no control over that. 
But this whole mentality of the spirit of the age, where there's no difference between anywhere at all, there's no difference with those who are principled and those who are not. You know, if you're an expert, you're sanctified by your role as an expert, and the church does not question you at all. You know, why in the world would young people want to come to a church that doesn't even have faith in their God? They have faith in the sanctified experts by their their own flip-flop things which go all over the place. Sanctified by the governmental position. The spirit of the age, it believes that safety first and their purpose of life is avoid suffering. We've allowed that to take precedent over the biblical principles of blessing and perseverance. Blessing is not the same thing as safety first. Um, not at all. We are called to persevere through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's not easy. God wants us to be blessed even when we're in the shadow of death, but nowhere are we given a promise that it's easy. Nowhere are Christians given the promise that you won't suffer in life. In fact, you are, are given the image of a suffering Savior who through suffering bought salvation for you and blessed you in a way that you could not have never conceived of, much less purchased for yourself. But our world, many of our leavers, many of our leaders, if I can speak well, we would rather talk about the evils of our, our Western civilization and individualism than be serious about the things which are coming for us. The conversation and priority of many of us in the church has not been where it needs to be, and that's because, well, we, we tend to think, and it's, it's a rational thing, we don't want to think that something like Drag Queen Storytime Hour could come to you or be a serious threat that people who want to sexualize kids, you know, that's a weird niche thing over there which doesn't come and affect us. But the truth of it, it does. If I went back in time 10 years and came to a district advisory board in the Church of the Nazarene and had a group of people there and said, hey, we're going to have a problem with drag queens coming to publicly funded libraries. Um, they're going to be people who say it's good to take your kids there, and they're going to dance in a sexually explicit way in front of children, and this is going to be a problem that's going to come into our schools and tell our kids that it is good. They're going to be people encouraging young people to mutilate themselves. I would have probably been laughed at and said that's not a serious threat. It's not coming here. Um, I may even be laughed at now and say that's not a serious threat um, because we prefer to take a stand that says something like human sexuality is complicated rather than giving a biblical stand that says, actually, no, God has things that are pretty comp cut and dry as far as the, the rules are. Um, people's lives are always complicated as individuals, but the, the uh, morals and teachings of God, um, they give us something firm to hold on to. But we don't like to take firm stands against the world. Um, we cashed in on real wisdom, which is typically hated by the world, to adopt a bunch of fake virtues which have an almost 100% correlation with the justice ideologies that are demanded of us from the openly debaucherous celebrities over in Hollywood and the politicians who are essentially celebrities that all they profess to hate God, but at the same time are new decisions that kind of line up with them. And I'm always suspicious of that. But the truth is we live in a day and age where people, they do not have eyes to see or ears to hear. And this is very harmful. It's harmful for our future. It's harmful with young people. So let's talk a little bit more about young people, because with young people, the church needs to do better, especially those who are in the age range of like 17 to 25, those who are typically sent away um, to college. We live in an era where these young people, they're not being given eyes to hear or, or eyes to see and ears to hear, I should say, but instead they're being taught the direct opposite of that. When a lot of young people go to college, they're given this mentality that says, you need to hear opposing views because that's how you learn to think. And hearing opposing views, that's a moral good in and of itself. That's a virtue. But the truth is, is all of this is a lie. 
I teach music. I'm sure some of you out there, you may teach music or be involved in this. You don't teach people to play the saxophone, clarinet, or piano by saying, all right, today we'll listen to Maurice Ravel, tomorrow we'll listen to some electronic dance music, and you know, by three or four days by now, you'll be able to play different music because you heard different types, now you can do any of it, right? No, that's not how it works. That's not how human behavior works. That's how you get people to pick out what they like. That's how you get people to find preferences and to find styles and people they want to emulate. But that's not how you actually get people to think. It's not how you teach people to play music. Teenagers and young adults are naturally inquisitive. They're naturally contrarian. And rather than taking these young people and building them up in biblical orthodoxy when they need it the most, we have shipped them off to universities and institutions that have become, by and large, in our culture, monsters. The university situation right now in America and really a lot of places of the world is a monster. And that's something I'll address here further in a second because I don't want to just glaze over that. But it's, it's pretty much definitively shown that these have become monstrous. This model that our culture has adopted by and large, that you just need to hear an opposing viewpoint, that is not how you learn to think. It's, it's very bad. Um, I want to share with you really quick a clip from The Phantom of the Opera. Now, this isn't the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical version. This is the 1962 Hammer Studio version. And I want to go back and talk with this. Um, and Facebook and YouTube have already tried to pull me. So I'm going to have to, to add some stuff over this so I can actually play the clip. Um, and you're getting this shortened version of it, which is really, really tragic. But let's take a look here at Phantom of the Opera, 1962. I am going to teach you to sing, Christine. You will be the greatest star the opera has ever known. Again, what young people want to hear. Greater than the greatest. And when you sing, Christine, you will be singing only for me. Me. He's got that gross motor skill there. Young people want to hear that. And the monsters of the world are willing to come to them and say, you're young. You want to be the greatest. You want to be the one who sets things apart. You want to be the one who all around the world, you are famous. You'll be greater than the greatest. The monsters of the world and the phantom, he's a monster. Um, the monsters are more than happy to feed into what young people naturally want to hear. You can see in that clip that girl, she loves hearing it. She's like terrified of this monster, but she likes the message the monster is giving her. The phantom, he's somewhere between a repenting hero and a demon, and sort of like all of us. He's a bit devilish, especially in that scene, and he acts like the devil in the wilderness. He promises her everything, but it all culminates to the fact that you will sing for me. And I love the gross motor skill in there. That's, it's actually phenomenally um, good at, at displaying what's going on here. This, this movie is pretty excellent. You will sing for me. Me. And I wish I was wearing a shirt or coat or something that could really get that padded thud. Me. Um, young people want to hear that. They want to have someone come to them. And this movie, it also portrays to us a truth. And it's a truth about the devil in the wilderness, which you can see basically happening there. He's like Jesus when or the devil, when the devil comes to Jesus and the devil says, look, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you everything. Well, the truth is, is that was already, um, Jesus did not need the devil to do that for him. And young people, they don't need a monster to, to lead them, but yet they do need something to lead them. And if you let the devil lead you, 
the truth is, is you will actually serve him throughout life. And in fact, whoever you let be your role model, whoever you let give you your metric for good and evil, that is going to carry with you throughout life. The Phantom, he knows that if he trains Christine, and even though he might die soon, and he does in the movie, um, and he'll no longer be with you in the same way, even if you've got an opera house full of strangers, you're really performing for him. The, this Phantom knows that, the devil knows that, and we must, as the church, realize this as well. Whoever gives our children, our young people, eyes to hear and or eyes to see and ears to hear, those are going to be the ones that set the future for them. This mentality that says you just listen to all these views and then you decide, that is not sufficient. Nobody actually works like that anyway, and that's why the criminal elements, the phantom, the monster, always tends to come out on the good side. And in fact, if left to its own resources and own power, the phantom will always win. It will always win. Because it takes the power of God to pull us away from that. And it takes Christian people who are surrendered to God, who are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to come in and pull things in a different direction. Um, we as people, we're, we're sensational. We're not cold and meticulous. Even though people like myself are generally accused of being cold and meticulous, we still like to make decisions based on things we like. We, we have our metrics and things we view by. Even people who are cold and meticulous, they still have their metrics of things. Even people who are sociopathic and psychopathic, they have their metrics they go by. Um, so we actually have to give people a, a worldview and eyes to see and ears to hear. We need to be planting those seeds like Bob Ross and Fred Rogers. It's So many times we think that, well, we'll send them to like a worship event or maybe a youth group event. But the truth is, as the church, we must do better. We have to start taking stands which are against culture and set us apart. Um, it always kind of irks me and rubs me a little wall, raw when I see leaders in the church. They think they're taking stands. They come out and they talk about the justice ideologies and stuff like that, but they're not really serious. Um, whenever I see people talk about criminal justice reform and never talk about like the civil courts, that's a good marker that they're not serious about this at all. It's a fake virtue to get attention. Um, they want to have a whole wing of the university set up for their ideology, but they're not there to actually be serious about any of this stuff because the serious answers would probably be difficult. It would require some discipline and you'd probably have to wrestle with some truths which weren't very fun. Um, you'd probably have to, to realize that when people commit, um, when people make choices, those choices have, have consequences, and you've got to deal with people really individually, and there's a need for individual transformation. When young people look at the church and they see the church take stands, like even I myself as a young person, I, I went to um, a seminary where they were having a preaching conference, and they had a, a lady get up, and she was preaching. She's talking about all this stuff, you know, white privilege, insert stuff here. sounded exactly like a celebrity who hates God. Um why would young people come to the church when you can be sanctified by that knowledge without having any accountability when there's no need for discipline? I mean, like, there's there's no need to. Why should we come to the church if the church just listens to the government guidelines and does everything the government recommends? Because implied by that action and that choice is that, well, the government's been sanctified by their knowledge. The experts, they have been sanctified by their expertise. And the people of God don't even need to question them because they're all sanctified. You know, as the church, we've got to do better. Earlier, I said something about universities that I really want to address a little bit further, and that's that universities don't have accountability. And they really don't in the same way that the real world does. Um, if you are somebody who works for GM and you weld a putty knife into the side of a Cadillac, you can't just ship that out to the real world. There are real world consequences for that. 
you got to get the putty knife off the Cadillac. But if you're in the university and you teach somebody something which is more opinion than fact, or you even teach something which um, is just bad philosophy, um, which is contrary to reality, you can ship that out into the real world with no consequences at all whatsoever. And we see that with stuff like gender theory, this whole idea that men and women, they're a social construct, that men and women have no differences, that everything's a social construct. That's a social construct. That's a social construct. You're a social construct. It's all a social construct. But by the way, we have to treat them differently. And there are choices because you can change from one to the other and all that stuff. None of it makes sense. And it's not designed to make sense. It's meant to, well, I mean, it's just depraved. It's the sin nature being the sin nature. It's meant to give people what they want to hear to, to take people to a moment where evil has power over them. Makes them easy to control. Makes them easy to, to be frightened and run back in their houses and let the tyrants control them. And all this stuff is seizing our culture. Because we as the church, we don't want to be serious about this. We don't want to be the ones who, who come in and, and are doing the difficult work of disciplining people. We want to let the phantoms do that. The spirit of the age, which really is a religion... It has replaced the Christian belief system in pop culture. You know, that movie I showed earlier, The Phantom of the Opera in 1962, it shared what I can only describe as a, a man who, he's a villain, he's a monster, but he also has a bit of a repentance arc throughout the movie. It showed the truth that even someone who's a monster, sort of like the demons within the New Testament, they recognize God. They recognize the authority of God. They may be acting wickedly and doing evil things, but they still really acknowledge that God's there. A movie like The Phantom of the Opera in 1962 was showing more of a biblical worldview than many of the things that we have in our culture now that are considered neutral or morally good. Things like Disney movies, which don't start from that biblical worldview, even if they're showing you the something like Again, a demon who's possessed somebody, so it's a dark subject matter. It's difficult. You get things in the book of Judges, which are really a moral guideline on what not to do as opposed to what to do. Rather than showing anything like that, we've got stuff that is sowing seeds that gives people eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. When it comes to our response to the coronavirus, this becomes ever, ever so true. For many in the church, we are fine telling our congregation to listen to governmental regulations on the coronavirus without any serious critical thinking. And whether this is intentional or not, we're sending out a message that says the church isn't really the church with any authority. We don't have any real faith. And whether it's intentional or not, we're sending the the mentality that says the government is is God because all of these people, they've been sanctified by their knowledge, sanctified by their expertise. We don't even need to question them because they're sanctified by their knowledge. They know something we don't know, right? They have to know something we don't know. It's just bizarre that they've been flip-flopping all over the place. And depending on who you listen to, what experts you pick, what peer-reviewed journal you take, they'll have totally different results depending on where they lined up ideologically. But they're all sanctified by their knowledge, right? So we got to listen to whoever's there. It's wrong for the church to say that this is morally good, and I'm going to go a step further. It's wrong for the church to say this is morally neutral, for us to take all the stuff at face value. For instance, for you to tell yourself that it makes sense that you can't go out after midnight because the coronavirus is more dangerous from like midnight to 6 a.m., that that guideline makes sense, you're, you're lying to yourself. People aren't hardly out. There's very few rational, righteous reasons to be out after midnight. I mean, some people work after that. There are emergencies, there are things which take us there, but most of the stuff that goes on at that hour um, is of a different nature. 
um, and a lot less people are out at that hour. So that doesn't make sense. You see other guidelines that say you can't go to a driving service, but you can go to McDonald's, purchase the food at McDonald's, put that food in your mouth, chew on it for a while, and then swallow it. That's safe and sanitary for you to do, but going in McDonald's, you can't do that. That's unsafe. Now, that doesn't make any rational sense. The fact that chewing and swallowing food from any fast food restaurant is, is, less, or is more safe for you than going to a drive-in church surface is ridiculous. You know, dads being arrested for playing t-ball with their daughter, that is, does not make sense. The very language of being essential and non-essential is from the pits of hell. It has an implied message that there are some people who are essential and some who are not. And I don't care if people are trying to be clinical and that's not our intention to say you are. No, that is from the pits of hell. Those suicides are up in our world and that is a, is a problem. And the demons and devil laugh at hell with this language because they know what, what it is doing to people. They, they enjoy it. The church shouldn't even speak with this sort of language. There are a lot of people in the world who see these things and they realize it doesn't make sense. And when they see the church going along with stuff that doesn't make sense, it just makes us look like fools who have bought into the spirit of the age. It makes us look like we're all a bunch of idiots. So this moment, it's revealing our character. It reveals our character. Um, and we have to adopt a better mentality than this. For us to sit around and say it doesn't reveal character and you know it doesn't matter if we accept checks from the government, it's a good thing, it's a blessing, right? This is helping us out. That's like us sitting around and saying, to a, a five-year-old that there's no moral reason why you're with mom on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and dad on Tuesday, Thursday. That's just how life is. There's no bigger understanding. That's just it. And to a kid, you know, they might think, well, I'm with mom half the week and dad the other half the week. There's no reason why, right? That's just how the world operates. You go to daycare. You go to mom. You go to dad. Sometimes mom picks you up. Sometimes dad doesn't pick it up. The child may not understand in the moment, but that will shape their future, possibly even their children's future. That has moral, out, moral outcomes. There's moral things connected to that. For the church to pretend that none of this has moral implications is just, it's foolish. It's like pretending like, you know, something like a child of a divorced family doesn't have real world um, consequences. But the spirit of the age, it doesn't want to be serious. It doesn't want us to be serious. It's a religion and it wants to replace Christianity. And for many young people, it has. When it comes to the Wuhan, COVID-19, coronavirus, there are two issues in our world. There's obviously the virus. We don't have any choice about being in a born in a day and age where it came into our world. We didn't choose for it to happen. Um, there are some people who may have chose for it to happen, depending on how it was created. But the thing is, is we're at a point right now where we can't rewrite history. But we do have control over how we respond, and that's the second issue. There's the virus and the second issue of how we respond to it. And how we respond to the virus is a worldview thing, and it's been a worldview issue all along. And it affects how we will be able to minister to the future generations. We as the church, we can't hold in one hand that China is a creative access country. And then in the other hand say, well, there's no moral reason for that. It just is. You know, baby is with mommy on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and daddy on Tuesday, Thursday. But everything's fine. There's no moral reason for it. When the World Health Organization goes along with China and our government flip-flops on what they think about the World Health Organization in China... Um, we do have to take a stand or else we're just flopping in the wind as well. If we say, well, we're just surrendering to the guidelines because they're the experts. They're sanctified by their wisdom and the experts are flopping all over the place, which again, we've got to a point now where we're actually getting a lot of data come in on this stuff. And we're finding out for those who contracted it, huge amount of people who didn't experience any symptoms at all, which is a good thing. 
but we're also finding out that those who had serious symptoms had extremely serious symptoms. So, I mean, we can be mature about this and say, when this is bad, it's very bad. But in cases where it's not bad, it may not be that bad at all. And we need people to have antibodies to it. And the data starting to come in to suggest it's been with us longer than, than we needed. And going along with this shutdown stuff may have not been so wise after all. We could have still been prudent and said, hey, sanitize stuff, sanitize people. You know, those who are vulnerable don't need to be put in compromising positions. You know, maybe we will do something like a drive-in service. We can do all of those things which are wise and prudent, but then to ignore the fact that the government is also, things like in Kentucky, threatening drive-in services act like that has no real consequences. To, to ignore that is teaching people to have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. The devil and the demons, they laugh at all of this. I've got another video that I'm going to share with you, and this will probably make your blood boil. And this is really just to drive home the fact that if we, we're put in a moment where you have to make a stand. Their savings is running out. They don't have another week. They're not getting answers. So their point is the cure can't be worse than the illness itself. Yeah. What is your response to that? The illness is death. What is worse than death? Somebody commits suicide because they can't pay their bills. Yeah, but the illnesses may be my death as opposed to your death. Okay, so... That's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo saying, the illness is death. Nothing is worse than death. And again, for those who get serious ill, the chance of death can be very real for them. But for a lot of people, especially young people, it, the illness is not like, it's not a guillotine. Um, we can be mature about this. We can realize that it's, that there are real world consequences. And the lady brings up suicide, which has been on the increase through all of this. And his response is, that's your death as opposed to my death. For anybody in the church to say we should just go along with governmental guidelines. When these are the people instilling, instilling the guidelines, it is very shameful because there are consequences to what we are doing. So there are consequences for allowing people to set the stage for our response. This is evil, something that is clearly evil. The church has to say no to. That scripture I read earlier from Jeremiah says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, senseless people, who have eyes but do not see and ears that do not hear. For young adults, why should they want to come to the church if the church lacks the backbone to actually stand up to obvious evils? And the answer is they, they really don't have any incentive to. And especially when nobody has ever wanted to, to turn their heart over to God, people are naturally sinful. We want to go and indulge in our sins. But there's hope in all this because if we as the church step up and be the church and we start taking affirmative stands, we will find that young people can grow in that. Um, we need to start saying no to things in our culture that are obviously evil. Drag King Queen Story Hour is something which is obviously evil. Again, if I would have gone to a district advisory board, district assembly, um, DS, uh, 10 years ago and told them this was coming, I would have been laughed at. Still may be laughed at today, but the truth is, is it's coming. And us sitting around saying things like human sexuality is complicated without giving a clear, firm, and principled answer, well, the devil's going to show up and he's going to give them a clear, principled answer, and it's not going to be the godly answer. I can guarantee you that. We don't want to give a definitive answer, but somebody will. The monsters will do what monsters do, and they will do terrible things. I'm going to go to another clip. We're returning back to the Phantom of the Opera. Um, so let's take a look at this. This is the Phantom with Christine, and he's giving her music lessons. And I can't. Yeah, yeah, he's a monster. You think you can become a great singer? 
without suffering? You think that I have not suffered? And he says, you think that I have not suffered there. Um, so basically they're, they're singing and she's like, oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. And he gets up and he slaps her around. He's disciplining her. Um, he's a monster. This guy's a monster. And he gets up and he's going to slap around and make her sing. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be slapped around, which I mean, no one does. Nobody wants to be disciplined, especially by a monster in that, you know, his hand of death, which his whole body is basically rotting away in case no one picked up on that from the very brief clip I had there. Um, as, as monstrous as the phantom is, he's actually showing something which is, is still nonetheless true. It takes discipline. When he, he goes over there, he says to her, you think you can become a singer without suffering? And her kind of thoughts are like, yeah, why not? And he's like, you think I haven't suffered? Well, the truth is, is there's, in order to achieve excellence, there is suffering, but we have shined away from that. The monsters will come along and tell young people the truth of that. And it will be done by monsters and in monstrous ways, but they'll have learned the truth of the world through those monstrous ways and probably end up being a monster themselves. But the thing is, is we as the church, we have to give young people the, the harsh truth. We have to show them how the world is, how you do achieve excellence through um, perseverance, through walking with Christ, through having those eyes to see, those ears that hear. We have to tell this truth to our kids and not let the world come in and give them something else. We need to start taking stands as the church, stands that clearly set the church apart from the spirit of the world, that lowercase g, God of this age. And when we do that, we're going to find that young people can grow in that setting. It takes the power of God, but God is big enough to overcome it. So we're going to close. We're going to wrap this up by saying the Lord's Prayer together, and then I will head out of here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So thank you for joining me. I know it's been a little bit of a long program, serious conversation. But on that note, God love you, and have a blessed day.